Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Courage to Change, a recovery podcast. My name is Ashley Lowe Blassingame, and I am your host. Today, episode 53 is a very special episode. I got to interview the other two co-founders of Lion Rock Recovery, Ian Crabb and Peter Loeb. You may remember Peter from season one, episode eight, where we shared our journey together as father and daughter through my struggles in addiction. And we thought it would be fun to do an episode that talks about another story of trials to triumph, the story of Lion Rock. Tune in as we laugh and almost cry about the difficulties of being entrepreneurs, starting and building a company that is years ahead of its time, and reminisce about some of the greatest moments we've had together through this journey. I hope you enjoy this. All right, episode 53. Let's do this. Ladies and gentlemen and everyone who identifies in between, welcome to the Courage to Change a Recovery podcast. My name is Ashley Lowe Blassingame and I am your host and I am here today with my two co-founders, business partners, mentors, financial distress phone calls, all of the above, Ian Crabb and Peter Loeb. Welcome. Thank you, Ashley. Thanks for having us. So if you've been listening to this podcast for a bit, You may have heard an episode, if Christiana were here, she would tell me, I think it's eight. Episode eight, Peter and I did a podcast together. We did an interview together. But Ian, this is his first time on the podcast, and we wanted to do a podcast talking about Lion Rock and how we got here and why we're still here and where we're going and, you know, kind of who we are. So, you know, since Peter, you and I talked a little bit about our story, we'll we'll revisit that. But Ian, tell us a little bit about you and uh, what you did before Lion Rock. Sure. So I did lots of things before Lion Rock. Uh, most of them were in um, in the financial area. I, I did finance support for a couple of companies. One was a, a big tech company in Silicon Valley. And uh, after that, I, I was uh, leading the finance uh, department for a renewable energy company. And that's where I met Peter. So a couple of years into my stint there, the founders of that company brought this Peter Loeb guy in with his MBA and his uh, business, fancy business models and stuff. And and they wanted him to um, <laughs> help figure out how we could uh, come up with a uh, financing plan to sell more solar power to their clients and stuff like that. So Peter came in and was eventually wrangled into uh, becoming the, the VP of sales and marketing there, which wasn't necessarily the job I think he uh, had wanted, but anyway, he he took it on with great gusto, and and he and I got along really well. Um, we bonded over music and our daughters. Uh, at that time, Tessa had I think just been born; she was like a newborn. And you were, gosh, I think like right out of rehab or something like that. So he was telling me that does all- not narrow things down. Either. <laughs> So he was, you know, he was going through, you know, all these stories. Scaring the and shit out of you. Scaring the sh- exactly. Like, oh, you got this to look forward to. Yeah. 
in your future. Um, and, and yeah, you know, introduced me to photos and stories of you and Tori and, and Marina. And yeah, so he and I just, just kind of bonded and got along really well. And we, you know, we were a good business partnership at that company and, and that company got, um, bought out and Peter, uh, left a little while after the, the merger there. And I stayed on for another year doing operations, actually leading a team of construction crews, actually, uh, building solar power arrays and things like that. And, and then Peter and I kept in touch and decided to try and start another venture. Cause I was, uh, seeing the writing on the wall, at that other company that they were probably going to let me go soon. They were consolidating everything to Colorado. And, uh, I was like, sure, let's start something. And so we started chatting every day by video conference. And, you know, then, you know, one day, um, when your aunt Karen, uh, had to go back into rehab and he was dealing with that. Uh, he was like, Hey, you know, maybe we should start a different company and, and offer addiction treatment over video conferencing. And I was like, well, that's interesting. Let's, you know, let's explore that. So we did. And, you know, 10 what, years later. What? So two questions about that. What? So there was one where you were going to do solar on trash cans. Yeah. Okay. I don't know why that one always sticks in my mind of all the ventures. I don't know. Well, actually, no, somebody else was doing solar on trash cans. We were looking at different applications of where you could put solar. And we, we had a bunch of different things. We were looking at like waste heat power generation, right. which is where you right, take right. you take energy that's being wasted from industrial processes like bakeries, or we even visited a, what was it? It was like a brick making factory. Remember that, Peter? <laughs> I do. Yeah. I do. So they had these, you know, big ovens where they cook right. bricks, you know, and so we were like, well, we could install a, an electrical uh, generator there, you know, but it was a bad time for the economy. And so that, you know, that was um, not going to work. And we, we even had one where we were going to deploy. This was a, a different iteration. We were going to deploy solar powered ATMs. That yeah, that, I remember that, that one. Yeah. People that people could wire money back to uh, like Mexico and things like that, and we were going to deploy them in different locations, like even in like farm work fields and things like that. Anyway, a lot of a lot of crazy ideas. I still that. think that would have worked. <laughs> we, <laughs> well, we still just... have we we still have like Google SketchUps of these you know these oh, ideas good. of like shipping containers with built-in televisions and ATM machines that. and vending machines with solar power on the top. It's so kind of wacky, wild ideas. I remember as like well, first of all, as the kid of a serial entrepreneur, right, who grew up in Silicon Valley. So not just the kid of a serial entrepreneur, but the kid who grew up around also other serial entrepreneurs. I remember around that time and, you know, Peter had been in a lot of different businesses, but I remember him ta- <laughs> talking to me about this and he was talking about like the ATMs and the trash cans. I didn't never heard about the brick factory. And I was like, so you're, you're going into the, the trash can business. Like what <laughs> just like each iteration was, so you're going into the waste management business like is this should i be you know is this like a sopranos undertone what's happening here (laughs) yeah well you grew up with him so you you heard many many different you know business ideas and he's still doing them by the way oh i know oh i know (laughs) oh i know it was uh it was always like that so how old were you when you met peter if if i was i 
I was about 30 or so. Okay. What was it? It was 08, 07. Yeah, I was, if, yeah, then I was 30. Yeah, I think it was 07. I think it was. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when you, when he first started talking, when Peter first started talking about me and Tess had just been born, you obviously thought this is going to be the person that I definitely want to go into business with. Or <laughs> <laughs> I bet that was your first thought. <laughs> that was not, that was not a thought at that point in time. <laughs> You know, the, the funny thing for, for me was that I came into that company and didn't want to take a, a real job because I wanted to be able to sort of bounce around and not be in anyone's chain of command right away. And so I people would ask me in the company, so wait, what do you do here? And I, I would say, oh, I'm just I'm just trying to help out. You know, and they would say, no, you're going to, you're coming and you're going to be everyone's boss. And no, I'm just, I'm just trying to figure things out. And, and what, what became clear was that we needed to push authority to get things done away from the, the center because the two founders couldn't let go of any process in its entirety. And, uh, so they thought that was delegating. They would delegate little pieces out, but not the whole thing. And so it was still going through them. So as I was talking to people in different parts of the company, and I would say to them, I think we should do it this way. Let's change it to that. Their their first reaction was complete terror because no one did anything without the founders okay. And the idea that they could actually operate without doing that was just, that just wasn't the company's culture. And what I, f- I found was, is that if Ian said it was okay, then they would do it. So if Ian and I together showed up and said, okay, we're going to change how things work. We're going to do this. As long as Ian was there, they'd, they'd go along with it. So that was sort of the genesis of, of working together and turned out we were able to get things done. So that was a good, that was a good start. Yeah. I think everyone at first thought you were there to fire them. Right. Yes. Everyone. Right. (laughs) You know, that's, you're at this small company and it's, you know, it's co-founders, mom and pop kind of place that's, that's grown up to be, you know, big company. And, uh, they bring in this MBA guy. So of course everybody's thinking, oh, he's here to like clean house and like fire everyone. So I think that that's part of the, part of the terror. And then, yeah, because they just, they controlled everything so tightly. And, you know, we're going through this now at Line Rock, you know, 10 years. Oh yeah where oh, yeah. we're we're all taking our different hats off you know we've been wearing eight different hats for years and years and now we're having to you know slowly start removing them and it's yeah it's a process yeah there's definitely discomfort in it for sure but there's discomfort in having eight hats too yeah, so true. i suppose it's all just a lot of growth opportunity mm-hmm. um, a lot of discomfort a lot of just, it's just a lot of discomfort ian you were in the wine biz yeah, I had a it was it was never like a full-time gig, but I had a side sort of hustle making I mean, it's, it's a wine side hustle me too. A wine side hustle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah, for, uh, it's just for a, a hobby. <laughs> yeah, my family actually grows grapes. So, and then some friends of mine in college had gone to uh, Cal Poly and they were doing the wine program there and they had access to like free grapes. So we were like, just, you know, making wine for fun. God, I feel stupid for not doing that. (laughs) I could have, it could have the legitimacy. I can feel it now. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So it was a little weird. The very like first, you know, few months of line rock, I was still selling off. (laughs) Yeah. Here, 
here we are, you know, working on this uh, addiction treatment business yeah. and I, I'm selling off the last of the wine that we had made. <laughs> it's amazing. But well, I got rid of it. <laughs> so, you know, Peter and I come to this business, honestly, here's as people would say, I don't even know if that term works here, but how you have had experience addiction has touched your life. Mental health has touched your life. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about why the topic of addiction and mental health treatment was even on the table for you aside from the, uh, desperately wanting to work with mentally ill people. <laughs> yeah. So it was actually the day that we, it hit home in my family. Like I, I didn't grow up. My parents, um, you know, they're British, drink a beer here and there, but they, you know, they never really, I don't think I ever have ever seen them drunk, you know, but through my, my marriage, um, my wife has some addiction and mental health in her family. And so it, it hit home one day, it was actually the day that we got uh, the company that Peter and I were working at together got bought out. And so it was like a really crazy day. And I was driving home from work and my wife called to say that um, her family member had uh, tried to overdose on a bottle of pills. And we, you know, we knew that she had mental health issues in the past, but this was like, you know, life and death really serious. And so she was she was in the hospital in a coma yeah just it just hit really close to home so we actually flew out to where she was in um Wyoming and were prepared to we were thinking that we were going to have to tell him like to take her off life support it was it was really uh really crazy and um luckily you know cooler heads prevailed and some people at the hospital said well you know, maybe we should try something else and move her down to a, a different hospital. And they did. And uh, my wife was was there for weeks, you know, separated from me and my daughter. And uh, luckily, you know, she um, she rebounded and um, came back and, and did go into a, a treatment facility for a while and uh, and then came and and lived with us. So so yeah, it had it had hit home actually right around the time that um that I'd met Peter and stuff like that. So I was able to even though I hadn't had it very close to my family in in the past before that I was able to understand what you guys had gone through to yeah. to some degree. I mean not not quite to the same level, but but mental health and addiction sort of took on a, a new meaning for me at that point. And this this family member came and lived with you. Yeah. What was yeah. what was that like having that in your home, especially having never experienced it before? Right. It was really stressful because obviously, you know, I think after what she had gone through, even though she's made a full recovery now, I think there was, you know, there was probably some like temporary, mm. you know, brain damage or something. And so you know, cause like at first half of her face was paralyzed and, you oh, know, wow. so there was, there was clearly some very serious like damage, which is all resolved. It's amazing. And, you know, that's the other thing is like just the, the power of, of humans to heal mm -hmm. and recover. That was the other like big lesson there, you know, was that, you know, people do recover, they do heal. And even from things that you think are impossible. beyond yeah. impossible and, and they're not going to come back from, and then you see them do it. And, you know, we see this with people every day at Line Rock, which is, which is really rewarding to, um, and, you know, you become a believer in, in healing, you know. What are some of the things that you have seen 
or that you've learned over the last 10 years with regard to addiction that despite having lived with that, you didn't see before? Yeah, you know, there's a, you know, there's a lot of stigma. We, we all, you know, know about that. I don't think I was, I was really one of those, you know, point the finger to those people kind of, um, I didn't, I just didn't have that mindset about it. But, you know, I, I've learned to, you know, I've talked to so many of our clients over the years, like, cause you know, Peter and I've been the tech support for a long time at Lion <laughs> Rock. So, you know, it's, it's amazing clients, uh, for, for years and years would, would call in and expecting to get, you know, tech support and they get the CEO or, or the chief financial officer and they're like, okay, you know, and, and so I've, I've gotten to know a lot of our clients and, on a, on a personal level and, and had them, you know, sometimes break down that, that was kind of one of the early lessons, like working with technology and people with, you know, mental health issues is that, you know, they're very fragile when they first come in. And so many of these people, like their self-esteem was so like beat down that, you know, just getting like onto a computer program was uh, something that was seemed impossible for them and uh and so you know you'd get on the phone with them and they would be struggling to deal with it and they'd be like no i can't do this and you have to talk them through it and so i was ending up doing you know not counseling but you know i was having to coach them through like no this is not you like technology can be tricky sometimes like right don't beat yourself up you're gonna you know you're going to uh this is okay this is not a this is not a reflection of you as a person, you know, it's right. just, you know, the, there's system. Yeah. Yeah. The system It's hard. It's like, and, and, you know, for people who haven't, haven't done it before, it can sometimes be, you know, tricky to get it going and stuff like that. Yeah. Our self-esteem when we come in is so, we're so used to failing at everything and being a disappointment at everything. And everything seems, we use the word catastrophizing. Like every word we use is like, I'm a failure. It's going, the world's ending. Everything is this enormous deal. And so, yeah, like people even hitting the wrong button on the computer can set off this shame spiral, particularly when you're, you know, at your bottom. So that totally makes sense. What about you, Peter? You knew a lot about addiction when we started this company having been through all my family weeks and uh and and you know talked to the myriad of professionals that you brought in to help on my case and then the myriad of professionals that you had contact with with my aunt Karen your sister so you know in the past 10 years though i'm sure that you've actually still really absorbed a lot of new information i'm curious like what are the things that stand out for you well i think the biggest the biggest change came actually right at the beginning because, you know, you had managed pretty well after all was said and done to find recovery and were, you know, making your way forward, which was uh, an incredible relief as any parent in that situation will tell you. And then my sister who had been struggling, you know, her whole life died. And I guess that was kind of a shock in a way because, I sort of had it in my head that, you know, you were doing okay and had made it through and that she'd been at it a lot longer. And that I guess I, I sort of thought that, you know, we had this, you know, uh, I was overconfident and yeah. like the same recipe would work with her. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the same, and the recipe had been working with other people. I mean, I hadn't, you know, now I've seen 
thousands of people come through our program. But at the time, the set of people I knew who had been through treatment and into recovery was much smaller, but no one I knew well had died. And her death really brought home to me that uh, this is a serious thing, that this is that, that, that it's, you know, it's not to be trifled with. And so I think that was, that was, for me, that was a really heavy lesson and one that really made me want to, to work in the field, especially because we had, you know, stumbled into, you know, telehealth. I mean, now it's called telehealth. Back then it was called, I don't even know what it was called. That won't work. Yeah. You know? I was going to say it was called that crazy idea. Yeah. You can't do that. I mean, even, even last week we ran into people who we had seen, you know, eight, nine years ago mm-hmm. who, who told us last week, you know, Oh, I thought you guys were crazy, you know? Yep. Yeah. Anyway, so that that was fun. Those years of being told we were, you know, crazy. But over the years, uh, over the years, what I've, um, I guess, how would I encapsulate that? Like some things that you thought you understood that by being on, you know, on the front lines in the business that you that you gained an understanding that changed your perspective. Well, I guess, I guess, you know, what pops into my mind first is how many people there are in our field who really aren't coming with the best of intentions to the business side, which has been very disappointing for me. I've worked on Wall Street. I've worked in the video game business, worked in the energy business with Ian, and I've never been in worked a field. Worked in the music business. Worked in the music business. I've never, I've never been in, in, a, in a field before that was as impure, frankly, as what I've seen in healthcare, which is really disturbing. Especially because, and, and you remember, Ashley, throughout a lot of the early years, um, we would see people doing things that were clearly beyond the law. And the regulations are, are very restrictive. So, I mean, that is certainly to be said. But there, were, there was a lot of money going around that it was pretty obvious what shouldn't have been going around. And, and we would talk about it and I would say, you just can't, you know, it just comes back round. Uh, you don't do that. It's, it's the wrong thing to do and you will get caught eventually. That was, that was the thing that for years you said to me, because, you know, I was in my early twenties, all my friends are making who are in the business, all the, my contacts, I don't know about friends, but contacts are making all this money. And I'm coming to you saying, uh, are we doing something wrong? <laughs> Cause yeah, you know, yeah. this, you know, is what's happening here. And I remember you saying, trust me, I've seen this before this is what happens and it comes back. It just takes time. And then a couple of years ago, I mean, we saw that reckoning. I mean, they, they, you know, in, 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 in the news or- and yep, South Orange yeah. County and in yeah. Florida. And we saw, we saw, you know, they just came and, and, and cleaned it up, but it took years. It took years. Yeah. And yeah. that I, I hadn't seen before. Yeah. Yeah, that's the only thing experience is good for, pattern recognition. The only thing we get as we get older, <laughs> pattern recognition. Yeah, so th- I think that was I think that was a big deal for me and I and I and I've been it's been interesting to see the the interplay between the medical establishment and the sort of grassroots recovery world that sometimes are sort of in sync but more often than not are in sort of a tug of war for control where the mainstream healthcare folks uh, want to integrate addiction treatment with the rest of mental health, which actually in some ways makes a lot of sense. But they also are really excited about having a prescription they can write. And 
you know, they don't entirely recognize, I mean, obviously the astute ones do, but as a group, they don't see it as the chronic problem that it is, that it, that it requires deep, deep work up front and continuing vigilance and growth because we're not really dealing with substances. We're dealing with people and who are using substances to, to, to cope. And, and that, that distinction, however subtle that may be, uh, gets lost a lot. So that, you know, one of the things for me, uh, you know, I'm out talking to corporate people, you know, investors, uh, possible distribution partners, and the level of, of stigma, the, the level of prejudice that I encounter when talking about what we do is surprising. It has been surprising. I'm not surprised anymore, but it's, it's, it's been surprising because people just simply don't understand. How does that feel as the dad of somebody who, you know, when someone is saying those people and you have a kid who is those people? Yeah, my kid, my sister, you know, lots of people in our family. I guess uh, it makes me more determined. So maybe it's not a bad thing. You know, it's easy to give up when you do startups. It can be, I can't remember what, which one of the venture uh, investors uh, who was quoted as saying there, there are two emotions yeah, in startup world, uh, terror and euphoria <clears throat> and nothing in between. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a rough, it's a rough existence. Um, everyone thinks you're dope and, uh, you should be doing something more mainstream and unless it takes off right away, you know, why aren't you Pinterest, you know? Um, and, uh, so I, I think that, you know, feeling that stigma coming from people, made me want to double down um, because because the people who are affected by this are people in my family, people I know, my friends, you know, so. Yeah, and as we've been out there talking to people, one of the other things we've realized, which is, you know, funny, but, you know, when you look back and you've been in other businesses, you realize there's there's kind of a drinking culture. Oh, yeah. In, in a lot of in a lot of the corporate world. And mm-hmm. so Peter and I are out there sometimes talking outside of the addiction treatment industry to people. And, you know, they'll be like, well, you know, I I drink. Uh, do I have a problem or <laughs> or, you you know, you realize like, that you become you, the counselor. You're like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah, or like, Ash, that conference we went to last year where, you know, they were breaking out the cocktails at like 2 p.m., you know. 2 p.m.? I mean, <laughs> they had they had uh, mimosas, you know, the morning drink you're allowed to have that I never knew about. Therefore, I became the alcoholic. But had I added orange juice, I would have been good. They, <laughs> they were handing those out. And then, I mean, it was, I was like, wait a minute. I thought you couldn't drink at work. All of these things. That I, or in the morning. Or in yeah. the morning at work. I was like, you guys, I'm not, I'm, there's nothing wrong with me. I fit just, you know, just fine. And, and, and just getting hammered. And yeah, it was unbelievable. Yeah. A mainstream, you know, health conference, right? And, you know, there's <laughs> yeah. dr- drinking going on from, you know, whenever people finish their mimosas at 11 a.m. till 2 p.m. when they brought out the cocktail cart, you know. And that's the way in a lot of you know a lot of business gets done over over drinks and so you know as we've been trying to push lion rock you know into sort of like mainstream business world out away from just you know they're happy to talk about mental health actually a lot more than they're willing to talk about addiction i think because you know so many people you know especially in sales and different things like you know the drinking is part of the part of the deal there so (laughs) you know we have to work around that and and 
help them understand. Yeah, I think a, a big personally, this is this is Ashley's, you know, TED talk, but I I think that mental health and addiction are the same. I mean, they're in the same. It's all in your head. I mean, you you don't. I've never met an, a drug addict or an alcoholic who didn't have depression mm-hmm. <laughs> ever right. or some sort of anxiety. Now, that may have been drug induced, but it's still there. It's still a symptom. Right. And all of these, you know, it's in our head and we started drinking and using or whatever your thing is for a reason. There was something going on, which makes it a men- you know a mental obsession. And I'll tell you that the other piece is that if you remove from an alcoholic or a drug addict, if you move, remove alcohol or drugs from them, they're not cured. That means the problem isn't the drugs or the alcohol, it's in the head, right? So, you know, I, I, I stand to think that, that there's a whole wave coming of like, let's just, you know, keep, you know, bring these things together. But that's, you know, that's my, the separation to me seems silly, but that, that's, that's my belief well, system. That, that, well, that's part of this, the stigma, because the, I mean, think about, I mean, what diseases could we name by their symptoms, right? I mean... I'm a sneezist, you know, no, I have a cold, you know, um, I think, I think it's just that, you know, the confusion, Diab- comes- I mean, diabetes is a good, like, right. You're, you're, you're di- type two diabetes, right. We don't talk about that. Like with, with what's actually happening. Right. Right. No, the thing is, is that alcohol and, and drugs are in this context are used for recreation by, the majority of people. And so when somebody is seen to be overdoing it, the assumption, the first assumption is, you know, hey, what are you doing? Like, you know, you don't need to do that. The, it, no one sees the driver. And I think that's the, that's the struggle is, is that people in general, you know, my, my line is if, if alcoholics were drinking motor oil instead of champagne or, you know, whiskey, everyone would very quickly understand what was going on. Because you'd say, you're drinking motor oil? What? Yeah, but they, I mean, if someone's smoking meth, they are, they're, you know, I mean. Yeah, but it's still getting high. I mean, people associate the relief. I mean, listen, everybody who comes home from work and, you know, it's wine o'clock, you know, everyone who comes home from work and has a drink or go, I mean, in the majority of mainstream people who drink, quote unquote, normally are in fact using alcohol for the same purpose that people with a substance use disorder do. It's, it's a matter of degree. And the, the people who are the mainstream people who are using it, you know, by our cultural standards appropriately, use it as a gentle, you know, you know, anxiety reducer. Whereas the people who have a lot of anxiety are using it proportionally more. And right. Right. We maybe don't, it's proportional. <laughs> but we don't we don't see the we don't draw the distinction there. We don't see the, you know, you might say, Oh God, I need a drink. You know, you come home from work, it's been a terrible day. We don't see that that's the same thing that somebody who gets up in the morning with massive anxiety is doing when they drink in the morning. We don't because that anxiety disorder is not well understood, not well known, not seen. We just see the symptom of it. And that's why we call it, or we used to call it alcoholism. It's the symptom. Right. It's the symptom. So you guys, when I joined Lion Rock, you know, and and we still didn't know what our business model was and didn't have any any (laughs) clients and, you know, join this idea, right? Like, I I mean, even I was like, this is never going to work. I don't know what we're doing here. 
what year was that? 2000 and... You went from drinking alcohol to drinking the Kool-Aid. It was 2011, Ashley. I, I was actually just looking at it the other okay, day. Okay, 2011. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was so, not long after we, you know, we started in 2010. Late 2010. Uh, late 2010. Yeah. You know, Karen passed away in August May. Yeah. Yeah. August 6th. It was August 6th? Yeah. Okay. She went, uh, she went back to rehab in May. Oh, okay. That's right. Yeah. I knew there was some connection to your birthday. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was your 50th birthday. Yeah. Exactly. And um, yeah, Ashley, you, you came in, you know, you were informally advising us from the beginning, but you right. came in in 2011. Yeah. I left. Uh, I, re- I remember the day where I was really sure that we weren't going to go anywhere without you, which was we were, I was on the phone helping one of our early clients get set up uh, with our systems doing tech support. And in the middle of it, and she sounded completely sober, I just want to say, before I tell the story. And we were we were going through the paces of it and putting stuff together and making it work and all that. And in the middle of it, she broke down crying. And she said that she just couldn't do it and this, that, and the other. And she just had, I think she had two bottles of wine already. It was noon or something. And she and, and she had a she had a full breakdown on the phone with me, and I had no idea what to do. And thank goodness, Ashley, you were in the house with me, wherever that was that we that this was going it was on. on. It was at your house. Oh, and I I turned to you and I with wide eyes, and I just handed you the phone, and and you talked her down off the ledge, and then got her to you know reconnect with us the next day, and we we made it all happen. But I realized how completely unequipped I was to engage her, and. So I was awfully glad you were there. <laughs> yeah, I used to keep a little cheat sheet of sayings that you had told me, like the, the <laughs> like cheat sheet of Ashley's, you know, tips on, you know, people who came on live chat or called or things like that, you know, like, okay, drink a glass of water and go to bed and <laughs> different, you know, different <laughs> things like that. Like, I did say Because that. we would have so many so many people would come on our chat thing before we had other employees. And, you know, like Peter said, like we weren't really equipped to, to handle it all the time early on, especially when we, you know, it was just us. Yeah. It's funny. I didn't know that that was a skip. Like I didn't, it's one of those things where, and I think this is this is where I really struggled when I was building our admissions. You know, before <laughs> before I was the only one answering on with a Google spreadsheet, was that I really didn't know what I was saying to people was intuitive from experience, and I had no idea how to give that to anyone else. Really, without any, it was it was really interesting for me. It really made me understand why I needed to not get math tutors who were really intuitively good at math. Like you explain when you know something that intuitively, it is so hard to you know to get out unless you're good at used to doing that. It was so hard to get out, and you know I I had been too you know once the one thing that's interesting or whatever. I don't know how unique it is at this point, but about my story is that I have been in so many different programs with so many different therapists in so many different modalities. I mean, just exhausted. So I I used to joke that I have more clinical hours, you know, that I had been in for two years. You know, it's a long time to be saturated and inundated with that stuff every single day all day long, new people coming in drunk, your roommates drunk, your roommates detoxing, your other roommates, you know, sober a long time. Like you just are in 
inundated with this. And it was interesting to see that. And it's also what's interesting is that from that same perspective, which is this inundation, like not really understanding how much I knew about it, not really understanding my ability to talk to those people. But here, the other thing that's been interesting over this past 10 years is that I have insulated myself from the stigma so intensely. And so it's been interesting hearing stories these corporation, these corporate stories are going out and talking to the corporations or different experiences, either relayed by you guys or, or some that I've had, where a people are judgmental about addiction because I don't associate sure, wh- with where you anyone. live, it's- where I live, what I you know my my group, my my husband's sober, so I don't have it with his, you know, like the amount of the level of insulation I have to critique about it is unbelievable because all I hear is how proud everybody is. And, and, you know, even from, you know, my, my grandparents who probably would have been in that crowd, you know, they're proud, you know, so it's been so interesting to hear like, oh, people really still think that. Oh yeah, they sure do. Yeah. I mean, maybe they just don't tell me because they... (laughs) They know I'm in recovery. It's not really useful to tell me. They think I'm a a piece of shit. They just don't understand is really what it comes down to at the end of the day. I mean, you know, one of the things, one of the stories I tell is, you know, if you're, if you're, if you work in an emergency department and at a hospital and people come in and one of the the stories I tell is if you, you know, go in and you say you're, you were an intravenous drug user, you get treated terribly. And that's, of course, speaking from your experience, Ashley, not, not mine, because I haven't actually done that. But, but, you know, don't tell them that right away. If you can avoid it, it's not a fun experience. But the flip side of that is, is that on a daily basis, they see people who are coming in who are looking for drugs, which is, of course, what their immediate suspicion is. And, you know, it's, it's easy, I think, out at, uh, you know, 14 years clean and sober. Thank God. Thank you, Ashley, for making that real. That it's easy to forget what. Yeah, what we look like in, out there. Yeah, people in the throes of in yeah. active addiction are, you know, we are pretty, pieces pretty, of shit. It can be pretty awful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that, that is a, that is the truth that I think you kind of, that's one of the, the, the components actually of getting sober is like, hey, I was a piece of shit. And I was terrible to you. I was terrible to you. And kind of just owning that because when you do first get sober, in the, the mind of the addict has changed it so everyone else is at fault every time. I mean, every time. There's a reason we are we are the the we are we are the victim of the world in such a special way. And so when you're coming out of that, one of the ways that you change you know, your neural pathways from a scientific perspective and from an emotional perspective, kind of your, your, what we would call your perception is by saying like, wow, I, I did things in the pursuit of, I had, there was a reason I was in the pursuit of these things. This is how I justified it. But I was a real, if you took those behaviors, that's a bad person. That's what bad people do. You know, that's a, yep. that's, and True. so that's very confusing, right? I mean, I, I totally, and a hundred percent understand why the stigma is there because we act like people who are bad people. And maybe, maybe they're, you know, maybe bad people, bad people, quote unquote, are sick people, right? Like maybe that, that maybe that's full, full circle, but I, I do understand why it is so difficult to think that, but 
people have judged, I guess addiction is still, there's still judgment about it, even when you're sober. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, and that's the part I don't really get. It's like, well, I'm sober. Why? <laughs> Uh, but like, you did bad things 14 years ago that, that you weren't there for, you know, <laughs> you know? that, I mean, I just, that's the part where I, I, it, that always surprises me. Yeah. Yeah. So Ian, so, you know, we, well, I was 23, uh, when we, started, when we started working together and what, you know, and I'll, I'll go to Peter from the family perspective, but we have this really cool trio, right. Where, each of us has a very different skill set. <laughs> you you guys probably overlap more than I do, uh, but y- we still each of us have has a very different personality. Very well, Peter and I are overlap there, but but uh, skill set, and I think it's made our partnership really functional in that we don't need to like we don't try to get into each other's way because like that's his lane. I'm not trying to do that, and you know, but from the perspective of we have this family, you know, connection (laughs) Uh, with Peter being my father, how, what has it been like? And you can be honest. No, no, no one's going anywhere now. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Nowhere to run. Or what are some of the adaptations you've had to do with founding a company with, you know, a father and a daughter, family member, whatever you, however you want to, whatever angle you want to dissect it from. There's certainly things I've had to adapt to, you know, in terms of you two and, you know, sometimes just letting the personal dynamic between father and daughter just play out and I'll just, you know, sit on the sideline and let you two have that out. Okay, you know, this is an unresolved uh, thing right. from Ashley's childhood here. I'll just let it work out. <laughs> um, oh, boy. I think we've I think we've managed it all quite well and and like you said like we all have a very different skill set like you know ashley like you've picked most of our counselors like not a skill that i have any you know possibility of of uh, being a, a good judge of you know and and you know peter is always coming up with new ideas which i think is amazing and and i i see my job as as you know largely sort of executing on on those ideas. Not that I don't have, you know, yeah, don't give yourself bones. credit. You have lots of great ideas, but I, you know, I'm, I'm naturally like more inclined to want to keep going with things that, you know, we've established and like get them, you know, get them humming. And then Peter's like, Oh, I got this great idea, you know? So uh, there, <laughs> we, there's, there's kind of a natural, like, you know, and push- everybody's butt cheeks kind of quench <laughs> up real tight when they hear that. Yeah. There's this natural sort of push pull, you know, not that Peter's not a, not a great CEO, you know, but he's an entrepreneur, I think at heart, you know? And um, so I, I think we all bring different you know, skills to the table. And I think we've, we've worked well, you know, given the, the family connection that you bring in and it's, you know, it's made it all the more easier, Ashley, that you, you're great to work with and, you know, you bring in something that we don't have, you know, so we, you know, we need you and we've needed you since the beginning. And of course, also you, you have plenty of experience working with, uh, in family companies because the, the company where we met was run by a husband and wife team. So you had to get in the middle of that from time to time. Ooh, right. Well, I was, yeah, I was more of the outsider there though. You know, yeah, they, yeah, they had sure, started sure. it and I think they were, 
four or five years into the business when I came in. Yeah. And I was, I was like the first hat that they took something off and had like entrusted somebody else outside of their family to come in and, and run something. So, so yeah, I was, there was a brother there too. The, you're right. Yeah. It was <laughs> husband, wife and a brother. Yeah. Stay tuned to hear more in just a moment. Hi, it's Ashley, your beloved host. When I'm not hosting the Courage to Change a Recovery podcast, I'm running the recruiting department at Lion Rock Recovery. We are always looking for amazing licensed mental health counselors, along with various other sales and operations positions that pop up from time to time. The Lion Rock culture is one of collaboration, support, and flexibility. Our employees work from home offices all over the country, utilizing technology to connect to one another. We are always hiring. So if you want to have the best job ever, check out our open positions and apply at www.lionrockrecovery.com backslash about backslash careers. Yeah, it's been, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting from, from, you know, working with my dad is a, you know, a, a really cool experience that we get to have this like mission and thing we do together and, and to interface all the time and, you know, grow together. I mean, it, it's an excuse to hang out and, and all this stuff. And, and, uh, you know, at the same time, right. Like, you know, I remember, early days we'd be in, I don't remember. I don't, I mean, I don't think they were serious meetings, but we'd be in meetings, the three of us. And, and Peter's like, you know, he's a CEO and, uh, of our PowerPoint. And, uh, and we're sitting at the table and he says something that I deem unacceptably dumb. And I turned to him and I'm like, God, you're an idiot or something, (laughs) (laughs) something, something that you cannot say to the the CEO. CEO. And and I remember a couple of times after the meeting, (laughs) you pull me aside. You're like, I love you. And you cannot say that to me at the table with other people. I was like, Oh, sorry. Save that for later. (laughs) Like, you know, just having to learn you know, particularly in our family culture where we, where, you know, uh, respect. We have a tendency to say what we think. Yeah. And, and authority is, is a weird dynamic. Like it's, it's, there's a lot of like, it's much more on a peer level. I mean, it's there, but, and uh, so that was a, that was definitely a challenge. Like, oh, he's the CEO and everybody else here knows that you need to not tell him he's a dingleberry and you know in the middle of the, <laughs> the middle of the meeting uh so that was that was a if an interesting growing experience and also having to learning to like am i upset because i was told what to do am i upset because i was told what to do by my dad am i upset because you know like all you know working through those things emotionally and and uh recently I don't know what Peter did, but it pissed me off. And uh, and I think it took me twenty minutes, and then and then I was done, uh, done with it, moved on, and we had a phone call later. It was fine, and it was you know major like oh I've figured out how to really separate those things, process them through, and move on. And and uh, that's been a that's been a I mean frankly without it, it probably would have never worked. Yeah, it's for me, it's been really cool to see the two of you. I mean, I didn't 
know you in your teen years, but I remember when we were kind of early into this and we had gone, the three of us had gone to a conference together and, you know, Peter said something to you and you kind of, the feeling I took away from it was like, okay, there's some like, you know, unresolved stuff here. Like she's mad at him for something that happened in, you know, her teen years. And, and the other thing I, I, I don't know to the extent this is true. I don't think I've ever asked you to this, but you know, you were gone for a lot of those years. And so it was, I think this in some ways has been sort of an opportunity for the two of you to, you know, catch up on some of those years. You, you know, you were either checked out mentally because you were using or you were often in rehab. And so there was a lot of time there that, a you know, a parent would normally be with their teenager um, getting to know them as they grow up. And, and some of that I think was kind of cut out for you guys. And, you know, through this, you know, partnership that we have, I think you tell me if I'm hitting it here, <laughs> but yeah. I think there, there's been uh, an, a, a, you know, a reconnection for you guys. Yeah, that's a, that's a great observation. Well, it's, it's a, it, it's been a very healing thing, I think, for, for our family just generally, because um, those teenage years were pretty much an unmitigated disaster. I mean, the only, the only thing that, didn't happen. Thank God was that there was, you know, permanent damage, you know, multi, you know, multi-decade incarceration or death. I mean, you really, Ashley was very lucky multiple times to make it through. And, you know, you know, I mean, there's, there's nothing more to say about that. I mean, that's, that's, that's what it is. And, and we've been able to rebuild a lot of our family bonds just generally, even, even beyond just Lion Rock, but in our family through this mission that we've taken on. So it's been a good thing. Yeah, that's, that's a great observation. I, you know, it took interesting because it took my mom, it took me and my mom longer to rebuild our relationship, I think, because we had less contact. And as I got older and we start spending a lot more time together, that time together that we hadn't had. Then you had a child or two and, uh, yeah. uh, and and well, and then she spent. We spent a lot of time together. So right, it, and you had something in common at a, at the deepest yeah. level, really. Right, right, and so it did. So similar to the way Lion Rock helped to heal our relationship, I think that helped to heal the relationship with my mom. Although I don't think it was bad, I just it just changed. And it's true. Like I was, it is a weird thing. You know, I didn't live with my sister, I, my youngest sister. I didn't live with her for very long. I mean, in compared to like, so we have this weird. And the time that I was there, I was so checked out. And so we do, we have this, we've talked about that before, like her relationship with my other sister, having been in the same home for longer together, they have bonds that you just have um, or experiences together, childhood experiences together you have that, that I missed out on. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a cool, um, a healing experience, you know, and a scary experience because we're all in it to, you know we're all in this together. And, and, you know, I don't know what, I, how long I thought it was going to take, or it, I guess I didn't think it was going to, I don't know what I thought. I, I, I think along the way I've thought different things, but I definitely didn't think it was going to take 10 years to become mainstream, that it was going to be as hard as it's been, you know, that we were going to be as scared as we were at times of like having built the company to a significant amount 
and still being afraid that we weren't going to make payroll or still being afraid like that we weren't going to whatever and and then coming through and doing it <laughs> just like the amount you know the terror the euphoria and uh i you know i really i had no idea what we were in for i don't i don't, I don't know if you guys did but i did not have any well it, it takes a certain to start a business i think it takes a certain degree of insanity because you you kind of have to convince yourself that it's going to work otherwise you'd never start it right so you know you have to you have to you know put crazy business models together that show you getting to you know 10 million dollars in revenue <laughs> in 3 years and things like I think that I just believed just, your models <laughs> just to give yourself some hope you know and uh and then you you know it doesn't happen and you adjust and you move forward but you know I over time I eventually not that I don't still get, you know, terrified and scared by it, but eventually it was like, okay, well, we've done this, you know, we've gotten on the ropes before and we've come back from it and we'll do it again, you know. Yeah, every year there seems to be something that, you know, scares the crap out of us that happens. Uh, I re- in, in December, we were, as we were wrapping up the year and, you know, cautiously patting ourselves on the back as we did when we doubled in size last year, which was quite a feat for and we were happy that we were able to do it. And Ian and I were joking as we were planning, we were doing numbers one day, you know, so what do you think it's going to be in 2020? Because every year somewhere around, and really this March. is the truth, March, somewhere, the, the, <laughs> beware the Ides of March, right? Uh, as, uh, you know, Julius Caesar did not, um, the, the, something happens, Google changes their algorithm and sinks our SEO or, I can't even remember Legit all the things. Legit scripts. Well, yeah, yeah. Something happens every, seems like every March that knocks us back. And we've sort of gotten used to the idea <laughs> that, you know, and we were literally joking about, okay, 2020, what's it going to be this year? Pandemic? No, that really never <laughs> yeah. crossed our minds. No, no, no. I mean, imagine if someone had told you that, that no, 2020, there's going to be a pandemic and Every single treatment center yeah. in America, maybe the world, is going to be doing excellent. I yeah. mean, there's just no, there's just not a planet on which any. I mean, we would have just. There's no way we would have believed that. Well, you know, it's a long time joke. You know, overnight success in only you know Ten years. a decade. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that was actually an interesting thing that you know you you quoted that man um, who said about entrepreneur, you know, being an entrepreneur, uh, terror and euphoria. And I think for me, I felt those things at the same time. (laughs) 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 I think I was very much like, Oh, it's happening. Oh no, it's happening. Like, like, I don't even know what's happening. just absolute terror and euphoria at the same time. Well, it's, it's a funny thing to see all of the jokes that we've been making for all these years now embedded in television commercials, you know, you know, where they're all in video, you know, together and someone says, you know, I'm not wearing any pants. <laughs> you know, I mean, we've, we may, we were making that joke yeah. a decade ago. Or when you're Zoom, da, 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 da. Yeah. 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 We've been, you know, I tell people we've been using Zoom since 2014. So this is our daily existence. I saw in the news this morning that Twitter, uh, Twitter CEO uh-huh. said that they can work from home forever. And I thought to myself, Yeah. Like Lion Rock, yeah, you yeah. know, for Whatever. a decade, you know, yeah, alert the media. Wow. 
Well, I mean, who was it? Your dad or someone used to tell you you're just too early. Like you have had, I mean, your whole. Yeah, I'm always too early. You're always too early. But, you know, so you were really too early, but we held on long enough. Yeah. You know, Michael Cartwright, who uh, was the founder of Foundations Recovery Networks and American Addiction Centers, told me back in the day when we were saying it was going to be five years. He said, no, it's going to be 10. And uh, I remember saying to him, well, I sure hope not. (laughs) But, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it was 10, it was 10, but being mainstream brings its own challenges. I mean, yeah. it's, uh, you know, we're, we're going through, I, I mean, the, the, the struggle to double in size every year requires us to rethink everything we do to rethink how we do what we do, how, as Ian was saying earlier, how many hats we're going to wear, who's going to wear them. You know, yeah. there's so many, I mean, growing, growing up a company is, is, is complicated. And, uh, you know, every entrepreneur out there has been through the same set of things. We're not, you know, special that way, but it is, um, it continues to be very stimulating. That's for sure. Not boring. Yeah, definitely not boring. <laughs> definitely not boring. And I, you know, I continue to be, I find, I just have a, an internal resistance to change no matter what it looks like or to, you know, I, I, you know, the things that the, the entrepreneur, there's an entrepreneur in me, but she, she has to say no like three times first before (laughs) before, I have to say it can't work. It won't work. If I do, you know, I did, there's just, I have to, I'm like, I'm working on that piece, but I, I do remember, um, you know, I, I was talking to somebody about how, you know, early on, I was like, well, it has to be perfect before we launch it. Like we have to, you know, whatever it was had to be, whether it was a website or it was, you know, we can't launch a plan without having every aspect of it thought through. And, and, uh, and, you know, now I'm like, nope, get it up. We got to just keep, get it up. Let's go. got to keep moving. And, you know, you just, the, the amount of lessons that you learn doing this and the amount of challenges is so broad. There's so many different things that I don't think are the same if you're just working for a company. Yeah. It's, it's an exercise in letting go. Uh, yeah. I was thinking about this just yesterday, actually about, you know, some of our systems and things like that and how, uh, you know, I'm constantly trying to tweak them and get them better and all this stuff, but you can easily, you would par- paralyze yourself. I yep. think if, if you didn't just let go and and move on and keep going you you'd just be paralyzed because you can never things are changing so fast that there's no way to ever get control of it all and so you know it's you you just have to like you're like guiding a ship you know in a yeah. stormy ocean you know yeah. and and uh you set the compass and and go and don't get too caught up you know you have to attend to the details of course but you don't get too caught up in every single one of them or you just be paralyzed and, and, and not get anywhere, you know, or you, or you stress yourself, you know, to death. I think we work with a lot of perfectionists because so many people in our company are in recovery and there's a, I've noticed a sort of a strong strain of perfectionism that runs through. I think one of the things that drives, uh, you know, people to use is that, life is so imperfect and so unpredictable that, and so then you, as, as you were saying before, actually you, you take away the substances, you're still that same person, uh, which you really have to do is learn better coping skills. So it's very common for us to, uh, to have a lot of perfectionists. And I, I have trouble pushing, I push the idea a lot that, you know, I need, 
B plus A minus at twice the speed, not A plus at half the speed. You know, we need we need momentum is is so critical. You're right. Those are the same things that when Ian was talking about, like making systems, but, you know, I'm looking, I look around my house and I think to myself, like of all the systems or situations that need to be made better and how much money, you know, and all the different things. And I really can drive myself nuts. And then the other way I go because of the extremes is, okay, I'm just not going to do anything. I'm not going to improve anything. Who cares? We're all going to die. It's going to hell, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and then I'm in a puddle in a corner. And, and so, you know, it's really about, you know, learning that happy medium. And that has been a very valuable life lesson for me, both in work and at home, because I, I, I really will spin out of control about that stuff. It's, it's, you know, my dad used to say, if you're not a little bit afraid, you're probably not paying attention. I think that was uh, some good advice. Hence why I tried not to pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> well, the flip side, the flip side for me, as opposed to, to the two of you, is that I get bored at the same rate as the general public, I've noticed over time. And so... What's if, that, like 30 seconds? Yeah, pretty much. Um, and so if I'm getting, if I, like... If I'm sort of starting to think something is well, you know, old news, then it it's I'm I'm usually in tune with with consumers in that sense with with millennials, most, really anybody, even in in my generation. So it's the so I know that the that that pushes me to move forward. That's kind of one of the drivers. Is you know this is old. This is you know these things are coming. You know, we've got to, you know, move on that. But the joy of working with you two and, and the team we put together, Capricorns, many of you. Is we're holding to, you on know, for dear life. Well, you're holding my feet closer to the ground, too. We're mountain goats. We just hold on to the side of the cliff. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is an emergency. <laughs> oh, we try not to do that. Gosh. Uh, but, Peter, you said something. Uh, you've You've said it a few times. Uh, which is that some mentor of yours years ago, I think, told you that it was your dad, actually, I believe, said that, you know, you have to you have to be able to look long term and short term at the same time. Right. That that was actually the big lesson coming out of business school. That was the uh, yeah. that was the big takeaway was if you if you focus on the short term, we saw in case after case, we studied that if you the companies that just focused on the short term got smacked by big changes coming their way. The companies that just focused on where things were going ran out of cash, <laughs> basically, <laughs> because they weren't paying close enough attention to what was happening. And 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 the thing that came through about that was that the skill sets of paying close attention to the short term and the long term are very different. You need, I mean, it's hard to be really good at both those things. And it's hard to have the time to focus on both those things. But we saw again and again that that was that the companies that did best were doing both those things and didn't. Yeah, you know, I think like organizations. And Ron yeah. <laughs> was focusing on the short term. <laughs> yeah. And organizations that eventually focus, you know, too much in either direction. Yeah, they they just fail. You know, they can't. They either can't adapt quickly enough or they just become old news. Yeah. You know, yep. and, and go by the wayside. And then and then in the in the venture world, you get all these companies that are, you know, pre-revenue or, you know, all they're they're all about building something really big, but they're, you know, revenues, profits, whatever. 
you know. That, that, then, that just eludes me. Well, uh, because, uh, uh, there are times when it works. I mean, some of the biggest companies out there, like, yeah. know, Facebook, let's just go with, yeah. um, you know, Instagram, uh, WhatsApp, you know, all those, all those companies, they, they had no revenue model, but they were aggregating huge numbers of people. But the problem is you get an economic downturn like the one we're in and your investors all sit on their hands and let you die. And I experienced that dynamic back in 2000 when I was uh, venture backed entrepreneur for the first time and watched the, you know, the, the dot bomb, you know, explode uh, and all of those uh, sort of first wave internet companies just go by the wayside. Yeah. So that's our challenge now. Yeah. Well, it always has been right. You know, what are um, kind of, what what are some of maybe if you have one or two of the most moving stories coming out of Lion Rock, things that have just touched you and stuck with you of people that we've been able to help. This is a, a, not yeah, live, so, so uh, <laughs> time. <laughs> no, I, I I remember one day I was um you know we remodeled our house a few years ago and it was like many remodels a, a disaster. Um, <laughs> you know, it took too long, went over budget. You know, contractor absconded with some money. Oh. Uh, you know, it was, just it was a remodel. It was a remodel. It was, yeah. a, it was an average <laughs> remodel. <laughs> right. <laughs> And I remember I was in the backyard one day and I was like just on the verge of tears just from this, you know, the stress of doing this. And, you know, my family and I, we we had taken up residence in a, in a camper in the backyard and we thought it was just going to be for, you know, six months or 12 months. It ended up being like 18 months. You know, it was a lot longer than we had planned for. And I was I was just super stressed out. And and I got a call from one of our one of our clients just telling me how. Well, she was do it was it was a while, a while after she had gone through the program with us, and she called just like randomly and was just telling me how great she was doing, and she was crying and and just how how grateful she was for the opportunity to have done that, and how we stuck with her when everybody else was, you know, going to kick her out, and and didn't you know her husband didn't believe in her, and her friends didn't believe in her, and and like we kept going, and and. And so like that kind of thing on a really bad day for me, like mm-hmm. was, was so much like just lifted me up and, and was like, oh, okay, this is a good reason to, you know, <laughs> keep, keep, slog- keep slogging through this. Yeah. I think, I think for me, it was, I had put together a, a, a focus group for, I can't remember what, something that I was thinking about, wanted to test out with people. And uh, it was live. And, you know, as we've gotten bigger, my contact with our clients, you know, sort of direct live contract is contact has been uh, limited to, you know, tech support, like Ian was saying, which I really don't do that often anymore. Poor Ian, he gets to do it more. And so here I was in a, in a video conference with, I don't know, 15 of our former clients doing doing this. And as we opened we just, you know, made a little introduction. Who are you? You know, we didn't know each other. And, and every one of them said the most incredibly kind and loving and grateful things to me about Lion Rock. And it was, it was overwhelming. I mean, I could, I could, I thought I was going to cry right there, which I really didn't want to do. And, but it was, uh, it was amazing, an amazing experience actually. Cause you know, most, most work is work, you know, and most companies you work for, 
you know, there's some satisfaction for sure, but you're not feeding starving children, as we always used to say when I worked in the video game business. And here we are not feeding starving children either, but it's a lot closer. So, um, so that experience was, was quite something that'll stay with me. Yeah. One of the most amazing conversations I had was with Kara Israel, who's on our podcast, uh, who I interviewed and talking to her when she was dying from liver failure and not able to get on any list because no one would take her because she wasn't, they wanted her to take a drink in order to get into treatment. Uh, but she had been sober too long, right? She'd been sober too long. So her policy wouldn't put her as at risk. So she wasn't going to be able to get into treatment. And if she wasn't going to be able to get in treatment, she wasn't going to be able to get a new liver. And she had horrendous, she has horrendous cirrhosis and she's rural. And I just remember her telling me about what it was like to be accepted into Lion Rock, finding Lion Rock and what it was like to be accepted and, and, and how much more she gained, you know, than she thought she would ever have, you know, she thought she was coming in to sort of get a liver and be on, you know, like be and check the box, check the box. Right. And, and she had no idea how much she had to learn and just seeing these stories, um, of people who really embraced and, and, and how well it's worked and how the team came together and how much they feel, you know, it's one thing to get, there's treatment centers or places I've been that where I've gotten a lot of great information, but I don't feel love towards the center, you know, (laughs) like I'm not the people or whatever. I don't feel like they're part of my family or that I want to hang out with them, you know? And so it's so cool when to hear people have that experience. Yeah. That's what we're shooting for. I I think that what is cool that's different about us that, you know, you were talking earlier about, you know, the push right now to just medicate people, um, whether it's for alcoholism or for opioids but, you know, we've all got so much stuff to heal from. Like, you know, I don't care what incredible, amazing household you grew up in. Like, there's, you know, there's stuff just just being in the world is sort of traumatizing for people, right? Like, whether it's your gender identity or something, like, there's a lot of the world that just doesn't really want you to be you, you know? And so we all have a lot of work to do to, like, get through that, get okay with it. And I think a lot of, you know, just handing somebody a pill isn't going to get them there. And so what, what we see with, with our clients, like just when we learned yesterday, like our clients had bonded so much, they did an online cooking class together. Like that was such a cool thing to hear about that. This had just spontaneously like grown up from the bonds that these people had made that, you know, just going into the doctor, getting a pill, even if your doctor had given you a, Uh, some counseling or something like that. It's not the same as really getting in and being able to do the kind of deep work. I think our, our clients appreciate the opportunity to, you know, go deep. Yeah. I think it's something we, it's so easy to be surface level in a, you know, in a clickbait, you know, world that we live in. We all can, we all can do it. Fix. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's all super, it's all super easy. I mean, it's interesting that you say that, like even the act of being born is traumatic for everyone involved. (laughs) Let's be clear. You know, it's, it it is a traumatic, but it, I mean, that traumatic coming in, you, you, you go from being amphibious to not, you know, it's, it's a traumatic and there, you know, there's big T, little T as we talk about, and all of us, all of us have those, you know, marks and and things to heal from. So I think that I 
think that's super important and something I always talk about here, which is like, whatever you're recovering from, it doesn't matter what it is. Like we're all trying to be better than we were yesterday. And that's, that's the, we're recovering from whatever it is by trying to be better than we were yesterday. Yeah. And learn, learning new skills and life, life is a rough and tumble kind of thing. You know, like, like you said, I mean, just, just being born, I had the umbilical cord wrapped around my neck when I was born. And oh, that uh, explains a lot. That explains why I'm so, <laughs> <laughs> so difficult. Right. But, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's rare to have a, a birth go, uh, smoothly, you know, and, and I mean, and even when it's smooth, even when it's smooth, right. The, you know, the baby, real. baby's yeah. coming out getting bright lines shown in its face yeah. and something stuffed down its Mom throat. Is screaming. And, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an intense. And that's just the first five minutes of your life, you know? So, right. you know, the opportunity for people to, to really go in and, and resolve those things. And it's a lifelong process you know as to learn grit and resilience right yeah yeah someone uh once i i was whining and complaining about having you know addiction ism whatever you want to call it and how like it's not fair i've 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 recovered from enough i've given up enough stuff i'm blah 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 and uh, like how long is it going to take me to be a normal person and uh (laughs) and they said well if it takes you your whole if it takes you your whole life to save your life, will it still be worth it? I was like, oh no. <laughs> Does that mean? But you know, I started thinking about it, like how long, what what's worth it, right? Like if my whole life I have to work on saving my life, like is that is that worth it? And I think to some degree, those of us who are in recovery, that's the gig, man. Like that's that's what well, we're signing I mean, think up. About- Think about life and its, uh, you know, basic unit, right? It's staying alive and eating. So it's kind of the same thing. You're still right. having to, if you don't, if you if you can't find food every day, and if you can't, you know, evade the leopard, you know, you, you so it's the same kind of thing. It's you just right. It's perspective, though. It's you, you know, know the, it, it's an awful broy thing that that gets said in the uh, in the the, the startup world. But uh, you know, there's time, to, plenty of time to sleep when you die. You know. And it, although it's that's a terrible sentiment in 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 the way it's expressed, it's it's true. Life is it's going to be work. Yeah, that's underrating sleep. And sleep as a mom to toddlers, no, I think it's true. You got to sleep. <laughs> yeah, you got to sleep. Well, um, I, I love you guys. Yeah, it, do you rash. a metaphor? What? Yeah, it's a metaphor for not sleeping. No, for what life is like. Mm. You do actually have to sleep. Oh yes, yes, I know. <laughs> trying to convince other people that is, you know, different story. Well, I love you guys so much and thank you for being on here and talking to me and hopefully people were excited to hear from us and uh, we'll have you back on and talk about it in another maybe five years this time. And hopefully the pandemic will be done and we'll be experiencing some other, we should, what's our prediction? Five years, March in five years. Just because you say you throw something out there, because if you would have thrown pandemic out there, nobody would have believed it, right? So five years in March from now, yeah, yeah, Let's see, yeah. Well, the 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 current economy will have healed itself, so okay. it won't be that. Murder hornets are in the White House. Could be murder hornets. I yeah, could be murder hornets. <laughs> okay. It will actually be time for another presidential election. So whatever happens this time will be over that thing. So that'll be interesting. I wish I could see that far. Mexico 
Mexico invades the U.S.? No. What? Mexico returns the wall. (laughs) 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 No, Mexico builds a wall. No, no. Mexico builds the wall to keep us out. I think they're already doing that. Yeah. They're already trying to keep us out. Okay. Uh, Five years from now, I know. Maybe I'll be retired. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, maybe not that. Okay. Uh-huh. No, that's good. All right. And uh, it's very, you know, pandemic of you. Ian? Yeah. Five years from now. In March. In March of five years from now. Yeah, the worst of COVID will be behind us, but it's still going to be around. We will have uh, face masks will be a new fashion accessory, uh, uh, like sunglasses. Maybe they'll even, they'll even make it integrate a face mask sunglass it'll be like google glass with a face mask attached like that it'll be a helmet no need for contouring i guess we'll we'll have a woman president and what else jerry seinfeld will come back to sitcom television okay he'll come out of retirement (laughs) (laughs) peter will go in jerry seinfeld comes out he's out (laughs) okay well you heard it here, folks. We'll uh, we'll come back to uh, see how our prediction. I don't know. Wait. Oh, I have to predict my prediction. My prediction. Let's see. Murder hornets. Murder hornets. My prediction is that something will happen with air. The airline industry is going to do something crazy to uh, come up with some crazy new business model, or someone will that will completely disrupt the airline industry that isn't net jets. All right. It's there you go. It's a big idea. <laughs> yeah, that's out there. Okay. Yeah. Right? Okay. Right. Uh-huh. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much, guys. Talk Thanks, Ashley. Thanks, Thanks for having much. us. Bye. Bye. This podcast is sponsored by Lion Rock Recovery. Lion Rock provides online substance abuse counseling where clients can get help from the privacy of their own home. They are accredited by the Joint Commission, and sessions are private, affordable, and user-friendly. Call their free helpline at 800-258-6550 or visit www.lionrockrecovery.com for more information. 